this is Joey Hanf, and today I'm not joined by Zach Lipson. It's a solo podcast today. Zach is out of town uh, at the time of this recording. He'll be back next week. Um, but yeah, it's episode seven of the Tweener Podcast. Um, as always, presented by Sticketware. We've got a uh, pretty, um, what I would like to call a great podcast. Uh, they're all great, but um, we're going to start, obviously, with Tweener of the Week. Um, Zach's not here, so uh, I guess I'm just giving my own Tweener of the Week. I, I'm not sure. I forget if it's my turn or not. Um, do Tweener of the Week. Uh, then we'll get into our, our headliner for the show, uh, where I sit down with uh, Bjorn Fertangelo, the only man to take a set off Djokovic in Indian Wells, young American. Um, have a good conversation with Bjorn, interview him, talk about a lot of the, a lot about that match, but also his year and things going forward. And then I'll finish off the show um, discussing briefly uh, Raymond Moore's absolutely idiotic comments, um, the CEO of Indian Wells. I don't know if you guys missed that or not. Probably didn't. Um, but specifically, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the reaction that ensued and sort of the, the culture we're in. Um, and then we'll finish off. Uh, we had a winner from last week's Stick It Wear uh, Pick'em competition. And we'll introduce uh, the same competition for this week in Miami. So uh, Zach sent me his picks. So um, we'll give our picks and we'll uh, make sure you guys enter. So, uh, yeah, let's start it off with Tweener of the Week. So, Twitter of the Week. I just went back and listened to the tape, and it is, indeed, my week. So, uh, Zach should be back on track for next week when he's back. Um, with the return of Roger Federer in Miami, uh, he added it late. I think it's uh, it's only fair to um, to have my tweener be from uh, the Fed, probably as the many of the greatest tweeners the sport has ever seen. And my pick for today is, in my opinion... The greatest tweener of all time, um, for many reasons. But uh, the the shot I'm picking is uh, the most famous one, 2009 against Djokovic, semifinals, U.S. Open, 6-5 in the third set. Um, just the circumstance, the circumstance, the timing, the difficulty of the shot, and how hard he hit it. In my opinion, is the greatest shot of all time in tennis. Um, and of course, it was a little lucky, but the absolute pace at which he hit it at I mean he hit he hit a tweener harder than almost every person in the world can hit a forehand and that is just absolutely absurd hits it inside out clean winner passing shot sets up match point he wins the match and you know ironically enough he actually loses uh to Del Potro in, in the final who he could play in Miami this week so uh I think that's uh it was it took a long enough but the greatest tweener of all time, in my opinion, Roger Federer, 2009 U.S. Open. Um, next is going to be uh, uh, an interview with Bjorn Fertangelo, the American tennis player. So hope you guys enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. Joining me now is the only player to take a set off of Novak Djokovic in Indian Wells, a 22-year-old American, Bjorn Fertangelo. Bjorn, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good to be here. Good. Uh, so we're recording this on Monday night. 
the day that uh, you're playing in Miami, um, you played Edward Roger Vaslin today. So you had the couple match points. How was that match? Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was really good tennis. It was really physical from the get go. Um, you know, he came out. I got a break in my first serve game that I uh, that I played in the match, and um, you know, he was able to break back in the first, but it wasn't enough. And uh, yeah, down from four or five in the second serving, down fifteen forty. Uh, played a long point. He was uh, and changed it back in wide, and then I did an ace at thirty forty, and I was able to kind of get the momentum and take the set. And I think he kind of deflated a little bit, which is uh, good for me. And you know, I kind of got a break early in third, and was able to run away with the set. Very cool. Um, so, is this the first time you played Miami, or have you played Miami before? No, no this is the first time. Yeah, and that's obviously pretty close to you in Boca, right? Yeah, yeah, it's about an hour hour away. But you're staying in Miami. Yeah, the traffic gets uh, the traffic gets pretty bad. The other night, I came here to practice and then driving home, kind of in rush hour, it took like over an hour and a half. So to do that twice a day, I'm not really. Yeah, I, I, I was actually just down in uh, in in Fort Lauderdale last week uh, on spring break. So uh, we we drove around there, and it was definitely pretty uh, pretty trafficy at times. So before we get into yeah, New Wells, obviously, you, yeah, ultra and everything else. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Talk a little bit about, because obviously we'll get into Indian Wells in a second, but um, having played down there myself, I know playing in Florida is going to be a lot different than Indian Wells. Um, and I, obviously, you know, the, the commentators will say that. And uh, But why don't you explain a little bit as a player um, the differences in two hard courts between Indian Wells and Miami? Yeah, I mean, the, probably the biggest difference is the air. Um, you know, in Indian Wells, it's, it's pretty thin air. I think there's a couple hundred feet of altitude. And, um, you know, also it's a desert, so it's really dry. Here, uh, here in Miami and Key Biscayne, it's a lot more tropical. You know, the humidity is, uh, is really high and the air is thick. Um, you know, the balls get really fluffy. But the court is a little bit quicker here, so I think it kind of evens things out a bit. Um, you know, there was a, a little bit of a cold front that moves through these last this today and tomorrow, so it hasn't been as hot as it was earlier in the practice week, but, um, you know, these humid conditions are kind of what I've grown up in, and I feel like I kind of have an advantage when I'm here. Yeah, I know I only, I mean, I was just, I was not playing, I played like a set, but I was just absolutely soaked because I wasn't used to that, um, so I know yeah. that that's for sure something that you guys who play in that pretty much year-round, that's got to be an advantage for you guys. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I think it's been benefited, and it's why probably some of you guys train in Florida. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, obviously Miami just started playing, still playing final round quality. So, but let's uh, let's discuss the the, pre- the the big news or the uh, what um, you know you made you made some headlines uh, in your second round of Indian Wells, taking a set off of the eventual champion and world number one Novak Djokovic. Um, but before that, you qualified and got your first ever top 50 win over Gabajvili. Um, so talk about the tournament before playing Djokovic, because you'd already had a pretty good tournament. Yeah, the tournament before playing Novak was, uh, you know, was already kind of a small victory in itself. Um, you know, I was able to get your qualities in my first, you know, 1,000 event. I was able to get my first ETT match under my belt, you know, against the top 50 player. Um, you know, I also playing final qualities against, you know, an established guy that's been around for a long time, like, you know, Stepanik. Um, you know, I, 
felt very comfortable out there. And I felt very comfortable out there last year, too. It's just a shame I came up short against Corish. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a place I really enjoy, uh, enjoy playing. I feel like the conditions suit me really well. And, um, you know, I thought I played very solid tennis for those first three matches and really into the fourth match as well. Yeah. And well, you had played Gabashvili at night, right, because it had rained? Yeah, we got we had got on real late in the afternoon. Um, the matches before mine were taking, you know, they were going very slow. So we ended up, yeah, playing playing under the lights. And so, uh, but then you also played, or when you played Novak it, it, at the start, it was light. But you did you guys play into the night? I forget. I was watching, but I honestly yeah, forget. Yeah, it kind of it, it kind of transitioned to, to the night. Yeah. Yeah. And what what was that? Was that center court that Indian Wells playing any different than the outer courts? Were they all? Fairly gritty, fairly slow, or was the center court faster, slower? Um, I actually thought it was a little bit slower than the rest of them. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that's really possible because they're all very slow. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, they're all really gritty. And, um, but I feel like, you know, the center court probably gets used probably less less amounts um, yeah. as far, you know, from the outside court. So I did feel like it played a little bit slower, and it's just so big that, you know, it takes a lot to get used to out there. Yeah. So as you said, you get your first ATP ATP win against Gabashvili, and then you're going in and you're playing uh, number one player in the world, you know, who has the most ranking points ever of any player. And uh, yeah. I know you had tweeted, you, you had a pretty good tweet saying, you know, does anybody have any tips? Uh, and it seemed like you were definitely, you know, you were you were loose going in. Did you do anything anything different or you know in, pre- in preparation for that match? The only thing I did, I came out early that day to get hit on the center court, um, just to kind of you know feel that court out since I hadn't since I hadn't played on it yet. Um, so that was really the only thing I did differently. So I actually hit two times that day before I got out on court with him. But um, besides that, no, I kept the teams pretty much the same. Yeah. So so one of the things I noticed right away because I was actually in Florida watching that match, and. Um, I noticed that, like you said, the courts, I mean, I had watched a lot of matches, the courts were playing slow, but it looked like you were hitting through the court pretty well. And so I had to, so I wanted to ask, you said you did nothing different. Did you string the same tension, everything the same? Yeah, you know, I, I started the week kind of stringing out there um, around 52, 53 pounds, and I, you know, had a couple of rackets that were at 54 in case I felt like, you know, balls were going to start flying or maybe I'd come out a little bit nervous and then, you know, I had three at, like, you know, my usual tension. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think the other thing, too, I, I had three matches under my belt where, you know, it was his first match. So, I'm, I've already been there for a whole week, and I'm used to the courts, I'm used to the ball, I'm used to the air. So, I think for me, it was just kind of, uh, I was a bit more comfortable to start than he was. Yeah. So, right, you come out, and you break right away. Uh what what was that like? Like you know, uh, when you come out there and you're playing this guy, there's you know you're nervous. There's expectations, and then you come out right away. And I, did you break it? I thought, I thought you might have even broken it. Love. Um, what was that like? Um, yeah, bro. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was crazy. You know, the, the first point of the match, he, he stood body and I hit a return. Hit the net tape and dribble over, and I was like, all right, sweet. It's a great way to start for me. So, um, and then yeah, I, I keep kind of you know a couple more stakes, and next thing I knew. Sipping, sipping my water up while with a break. Um, so, you know, I, I really tried not to think about it. Um, you know, I just kind of, uh, 
times he played, I really wasn't looking at him the entire match just because I, I couldn't actually believe that I was, you know, on a big stage, you know, playing him. Yeah. Um, you know, so I kind of just kind of looked elsewhere or at the ground pretty much in between points. Yeah, really kind of made eye contact with him. Yeah, because I don't know if you noticed, but uh, like because obviously you were trying to just focus on on just playing and not not liking him. But he was you were hit you hit a few shots in the first set, and obviously he made a couple mistakes. And I I remember vividly him glancing at you, and I remember you were you were like looking at the balls, looking at the ground. So that that's funny that you say that. And yeah, uh, I mean, um, yeah, it was, yeah, I just couldn't believe that I was actually playing and beating him. And so what? I think you got you got up what three zero double break, and uh, then you win the first set six two, and I you closed it out pretty easily. Um, but before the match, uh, obviously you you don't know what's going to happen out there. You know if you're going to win a first set, lose a first set. But um, you know when you look at the, your coaches uh, at the box coming after the first set, you know what what are you you know looking to go forward? What what is your mindset? Is it all right? I I can win this match. Or is it, you know, are, were, were you a little bit, were, like you said, were you a little bit shocked at that point? Um, I was a little bit surprised. Um, you know, in the heat of the moment, you really don't want to say that. But, yeah, obviously I was shocked to win the first set. Um, you know, but I didn't let that kind of get in the way of me actually winning the set. Um, you know, I thought I handled the 5-2 game, serving it out pretty pretty comfortably and pretty, you know, unnervy, um, yeah. so to speak. So, you know, and, and I had, you know, Brad and, and Gabriel on the side there kind of cheering me on, so I felt like they were right with me as well. And, I, you know, I did have a little bit of a game plan out there, so it's not like I was just going out there hoping and praying that, you know, it wasn't going to be a complete bloodbath. Yeah. Um, but to, you know, actually execute the game plan and, and have it work, you know, I was a little bit surprised that, um, that I took the first set, and also then I expected him to raise his level just like he did. Yeah. What Bjorn mentioned there, um, he mentioned a guy named Brad. Brad Stein is actually from Fresno, California, which is about 30 miles from me. So just a, a shout out to Brad Stein. Um, uh, so obviously, you know he's gonna you know he's gonna raise his level coming out, and uh, you played a game in the first set. You held like you played like a long game and held serve to start at one all in the second. Then obviously he turned it yeah. on and played a big second set. You know, didn't think there was much he could do. But a third set, I don't know, tell me what you think. But watching the match, I felt like the third set was was actually the highest like the highest level that of the, of the entire match, especially the first five games of that third set. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think anybody that looks at the scoreline that also saw the match said, you know, the third set was definitely closer than uh, than a six-two scoreline. But um, you know, I, I kind of felt immediately him come out there and, you know, I don't know if even staying at the same level as he did in the second set, maybe he raised it even a bit more to break me. But, um, you know, I, I, I tried to raise it as best I could to kind of match him, and I actually think I did for for a game or two, and I was able to get the break back. But, you know, what he does so well is he basically turns your service games into just baseline games. And then... Uh, you know, he, he has the upper hand about on about 99.9% of the guys out there just because, uh, you know, his depth is unbelievable and he takes time unbelievably well. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I, I felt like the, the quality of tennis is high out there. I think, you know, the crowd have really appreciated it as well. You know, I think both of us were, were playing pretty 
pretty hard and the, the, the game I broke back is a long game yeah. I think there were probably three or four deuces in that a challenge call or two that was in there um, I think it was long, yeah, I think it was longer than that yeah yeah there was a, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of things that um, you know I, I think I could have maybe even snuck out the, the game I had game points to, to go three all in the third and I think maybe if I would have gone to three all you know maybe something else interesting would have yeah and yeah like you said so he breaks you start the third and I, he didn't really give much of a reaction, if I remember correctly. He was more just like, okay, like I'm, I'm putting this guy away. And then when you, when you, right, you play that long game, you break back. And then to me, the most noticeable thing was, and I'm, and you can tell me if this, if if you felt this way, but it looked like really, you were getting the first strike in in a lot of rallies. And uh, he was, I mean, he's obviously probably the best defender. He is the def- best defender in the game. And so obviously he was making you play like, you know, ten great shots to win a point. But does that? How much belief does that give you when you're playing these points against the best player in the world, and and really you're you're going right there toe to toe with him? No, I mean it gives me a lot of confidence. It's something that I I uh, I grew from. It's something I used in my match today. You know, I mean, beat down match point today. And the first match point was a was a twenty ball rally, and, and you know, um, uh, you know, he he missed the last ball, so I won the point. And, you know, thinking in my head, you know, if I can rally. 20 balls with, with Novak and come out on top then I can surely you know rally 20 balls with with Roger Vaseline and, and, and be alright as well not that he's you know not a good player but obviously you know not the, at the level that Novak is really no one is so um so yeah I think it gives me a lot of confidence to to play the the level that I'm playing at to know that you know I've played number one guy in the world and I, I know what it's like so I think I can draw a lot of uh, confidence from that so obviously it was uh, it ended up being a loss six two and a third, um, but I think you certainly garnered some attention. What were some of the best? Uh, did you get texts, messages? You know, what what were some of the best uh, responses you got from friends and family? Yeah, I mean, you know, I opened my phone when I got in the locker room, and I had about I think sixty text messages and eighty notifications all together from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and everything. And I think just kind of the the support from uh, from people back home in Pittsburgh and people that I really haven't spoken to in a long, long time. Um, you know, I'm in a lot, and, and I think, you know, to have as many people watch the match as they did, um, you know, it was a lot of fun for me, and it was fun to be a part of, and I really think it, uh, you know, it made maybe some people believe that I'm um, a little better than they thought I was. So, um, you know, but just every message I took the time to reply to, um, I thought, you know, that was really important that I replied to each and every person that, that you know, showed me support. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciated every, every message that I got. Yeah, so you said there that, um, you know, maybe some people, you opened some eyebrows. Uh, it's funny because as I was sort of messaging you to set up the podcast, um, I, was, I was watching the men's final. And after the men's final, uh, Chris Fowler was saying, they were actually referencing you, talking about the only set that you know, Novak lost in the tournament was to you. And, um, you know, they, they were saying that, you know, Bjorn potential is, you know, at the end of his career, he's going to look back on that. And that's going to be, you know, a big memory for him. How much motivation is that for you? You know, obviously it was a great moment, but I'm sure you want to go further. So, you know, where do you go from that um, to not make that, you know, the greatest moment of your career? I think I just, I just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm always a guy who's just worked really hard and stayed, you know, really humble even with the 
the successes that I've had, you know, through my short career and even, you know, in the pretty good junior career that I've had. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's probably one of the, the best tennis memories I have and probably will ever have. But, um, you know, that was last week, and, and now I'm, I'm focused on Miami. And, and, you know, that what's over, I still lost the match. So, you know, yeah. it's not like I won anything. Um, so, you know, I'm here now, and I, I could potentially lose tomorrow against James Ward in the final round quality with Miami. So that doesn't look as good as losing to Novak in the second round of any Wells, but... Yeah, that's the reality of where I am right now. So it's, I'm trying to, to get out of there as quick as I can. Yep. So, uh, so talking about that, um, obviously, I, I know I've spoken to you about this before, but you know, you're playing the challengers and some quads of these tour events with a lot of young Americans that are three, four years younger than you, that are you know having in, you know incredible success, like Taylor Fritz, even Francis is, is, is you know rising up the rankings quickly, Jared Donaldson. Um, so you know, I know they joke with you that you're you're the old guy. So what's that like to to be among with a big group of uh, American kids um, and be sort of the old guy at 22? No, it's uh, it's fun, you know, to kind of see them grow and you know see them mature. Even in the, the short time that I've known them, I'm lucky enough to to see Tommy and Francis on a more uh, regular basis since I train with them. But um, you know, look, they're, they're good, and they all have each other, which is, uh, you know, one thing that I didn't have when I, I was in that same situation and turning pro and, and coming up. It was kind of just me, and then before me, it was kind of, you know, just Jack and, and Dennis, and, you know, Harrison was kind of already established on the own. So, you know, I didn't really kind of have anyone to, to go through the process with, and, and there were times that I've felt alone and, you know, it probably would have been nice to have some other players in the same shoes as me to kind of talk about it with. But, you know, look, they all have each other, and they're all really free out there and swinging away, you know, and they're all kind of freshmen, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to, uh, to see how they all do, you know. And they're all very good, and they're all, I think, good to be a lot more along than I was when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. So, um, yep. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how they how they play out. Yeah, so uh, obviously your ranking uh, moved up a little bit after Indian Wells potentially could move up if you have another good week here. I know you almost cracked the top hundred last year. Um, you've been sort of in that one hundred to one fifty range for the last uh, what six months or so. Um, now that you're essentially playing, you know, if anything, just challengers, but you're playing a lot of qualities of tour events. Um, uh, what would you say about your scheduling this year? How's it how's it changed? And uh, obviously, you're defending you're defending a lot more points. What's that experience been like? Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been okay so far. I think you know playing playing Australia and then um, you know playing the Challenger in Maui and, and Dallas and everything else, and then you know choosing to kind of play Memphis and Delray. I think I need some more exposures. To, to tour events and tour event qualities and it's something that <clears throat> I talked about you know last fall doing or even the summer I think that's something what, that I should have done last year rather than play pretty much a whole challenger schedule um, you know you build familiarity and you build you know comfort around the guys who you really see on TV on a regular basis so you kind of go in you know a little bit shy or maybe a little bit intimidated where you know, now I qualified in any wells, and, you know, you play Memphis, and 
that not more regular occasion in the NFL. You know, they are so it's not as uh, it's not as new. So um, you know, you just feel more comfortable in your own shoes in the locker room with these guys. And I think that's a big part of it, just kind of feeling like you belong there and you're not kind of an outsider. Which uh, you know, which I feel like um, I feel like that now. Yeah. Uh, so you play in Miami, obviously, but then um, the tour transitions. Uh, well, both tours, Challenger and tour level, transitions to clay, which I know is uh, a pretty good surface for you. So, um, although those those hard courts you're playing are pretty slow, but uh, you know what? You know how are you? Uh, how are you looking forward to the clay? Are you gonna Are you gonna play Challengers? Are you gonna try and play some tour events? Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back on on clay. Um, starting with with Houston, and then I'm playing Sarasota and Savannah, and uh, I take it from there. I'm not sure if I'm going to play <clears throat> Tallahassee this year or not. Um, you know, I've really kind of reworked my schedule a bit, you know, now working with Brad. Um, you know, he has a bit of a different, fault, you know, scheduling philosophy than, than Stan does. Um, so, you know, to kind of felt like last year I played a lot of terms. Yeah. And I, you know, going deep in a lot of them, like I did, um, kind of burned me out by the end of the year. I think had I kind of scheduled myself better, um, you know, I think I would have been more fresh to kind of play through through the fall. But uh, you know, going through this year, you know, that's something that Brad's kind of emphasized a lot. You know, is is rest weeks and training training blocks and kind of. You know, making sure I'm, I'm fresh, not only physically, but probably more importantly, mentally as well. So, um, so I'm going to play those three for sure, and then and then see if I need to play Tallahassee if I'm going to run for the wild card or not, and then and then get over to Europe for uh, for the big show. Yeah. So briefly, obviously, we're, you're still playing hardcore. So we're looking ahead now, but how much different does the does the green hard true play compared to, to red clay? Because I know I know you you know you won the French Open Juniors on red clay. Uh, you made the final of uh, a pretty big challenger last year in Italy on the red clay. How much different does the does the hard true play than red clay? Is it pretty similar? Um, to me, yes. I think one of the reasons why I do well on it is because I don't make a big deal out of it. I feel like a lot of American players, you know, men and women, kind of get on clay and they feel like all of a sudden they have to play a different game and then when they get on red clay then they have to change even more. Um, you know, so I feel like really, yeah, if the ball bounces a little bit higher, maybe it's a little bit slower. You know, at the French, it could potentially be a little bit faster also if it's a hot day. Um, but, you know, you, you can still fly, the ball still bounces, Ned is the same height, you know, the court is the same, same length and everything. It's, you know, you're still playing tennis. I, I think just because the surface changes doesn't mean, you know, you have to change with the surface. Yeah. All right. Good talk on the tennis. Um, I just wanted to get sort of your overall uh, feeling of what it's like in the locker room right now. Obviously, um, tennis has been uh, in the headlines a lot for, uh, you know, a few numerous uh, scandals, actually, obviously, with the match fixing with Sharapova testing positive for Maldonium. Um, and then yesterday, Indian Wells sort of blew up with uh, Raymond Moore's remarks um, about the women's tour. What's it, you know, what's it been like on the tour this year? Are, you, are the guys talking about this? Uh, I know it's, it's sort of been a rocky road to start. Yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy, yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Sharapova testing positive is, one thing and the match fixing is another thing and 
now the, the CEO of Indian Wells is another thing. So, um, yeah, you say in your tweets, tennis is alive, but probably not for the uh, <laughs> not for the right reasons. Um, but you know, so it's kind of you know, it's it's sad to see, but you know, these things happen in sports, and you know, everyone's gonna have their opinions, and um, you know, it, it is what it is. I don't think really it's uh, it's affecting anybody. Um, you know, everybody's still out here playing and trying to to do as well as they can. So uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that, that a lot of the talk has been about this. You know, I was watching Sports Center earlier today and even came up and you know, when does tennis really ever come up on Sports Center? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know, you know, the, the tour moves on and things move on. You know, hopefully uh, everything will get fixed. Yeah, I think it's been uh, you know some important things have been talked about, but then of course, um, with the advent of, of social media and everything, uh, everybody you know everybody gives their hot takes, and it's sort of a sort of a gotcha gotcha Twitter, um, which is one of the things I don't like about it. Um, so I yeah, so you know, what do you do? You players, do you guys look at that on Twitter? Do you, you look at what people are saying, or are you guys try and sort of just stay on your own? Uh, your own schedule, your own uh, your routine. Um, you know, I can only speak for myself. Um, you know, I, I don't look at too much on on Twitter or stuff. I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm the most active tweeter. Um, <laughs> you know, I go on and, and I uh, you know I read and stuff, but I'm not really a one to kind of share my thoughts on things or share my opinions yeah. um, too much. I kind of just keep that to myself. So, uh, but yeah, I, I do keep up and I, I kind of keep, you know, to, you know, see what everyone's kind of saying and, and, you know, that's kind of that. But I think for for me to share my own opinions, I don't think I'm, I'm really too relevant in the game right now to uh, kind of express myself. Um, so yeah, I just kind of go about my business and, and really that's all I've ever and probably will ever care about. All right. Well, Bjorn, thanks for joining me. Uh, you're playing James Ward. You're playing tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon or what? Yeah, tomorrow morning. First up. All right. Well, uh, good luck. Thanks for joining us, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Take care. So I want to thank again Bjorn for, for joining us, our first player on the show. Um, very good guy, uh, somebody who, who's very easy to root for um, as an American tennis fan. So uh, wish Bjorn continued success, and uh, hopefully we'll see him on a few more uh, stadium courts playing playing the top guys. Um, so as we had touched on there, we you know we, we we talked about sort of the controversy surrounding tennis, and you know Zach and I have touched on uh, many of those. Um, really, the big the big two being match fixing and Sharapova's doping uh, sort of situation scandal um it's given us a lot of content for this for this podcast to be honest with you um going into certainly thought this was going to be more of a um, analytical tennis podcast where we really uh, talked more about the game but there's just been so many stories that have popped up this year and it's interesting because um i don't know i've had this conversation with a lot of the a lot of the journalists and players and a lot of this stuff has been boiling for a long time um and this year, it seems like everything, something something new comes out every week. 
And um, in case you missed it, I'm sure you haven't. I mean, it's been across all news as we talk about Raymond Moore, the CEO of Indian Wells Tournament, um, made some absolutely you know, terrible remarks. Uh, the worst part, telling telling women to get on their knees and bow um, to Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, uh, which is completely unacceptable. And um, as Patrick McEnroe said on the air, I think it is a fireable offense. Um, now, that being said, um, what I want to discuss is maybe something that isn't, isn't going to be as popular of an opinion, but something that I think I, I feel like I need to talk about is that um, sort of the, cult, the reactionary world we live in after something like this. Um, obviously, like I said, I think you know, his remarks have no place in the sport. Uh, but you know, it transitioned into Novak being asked about it after the match. And um, you know, Novak, I thought, actually gave a pretty reasonable answer. Uh, now he went, you know, he, he went into, into territory he never should have when he talked about hormones and stuff like that. But other than that, his answer about, you know, equal pay for, you know, however much you can draw in, that's, you know, people were, were vilifying him. And for him to essentially say that he applauds the, you know, the efforts of women and the WTA, you know, probably the greatest women's sport in the world. But that you know he he feels that men's tennis should fight for as much as it can, you know to criticize him for that I just don't understand, and you know I I I am fully aware I mean I'm at a, probably the most one of the most liberal campuses in America, um, Ithaca College in Ithaca New York, and you know I I see these movements and I understand them, um, but I think the culture we live in we've gotten into a point and especially with Twitter. As I, you know, I briefly talked to it with Bjorn, is that you know if you have any sort of disagreement, there's this this gotcha, you know, there's no place for civil disagreement, there's no place for, you know, any sort of discussion, and it just leads us into this, you know, everybody hates each other more. There's even broader, you know, absolute hostility. And it's hard to watch. Um, and people just don't seem to forget that these players are coming from so many different cultures that hold just massively different ideas than than we think. Than and and maybe they maybe some people agree with us, some people disagree with us. But we've gotten to the point where nobody cares what anybody else says. Everybody wants to get their two cents in, and you know they want as many retweets as they can get. And that's leading us to bad places, very bad places, because uh, it's no longer about actual information, factual information. It just becomes about you know who can say things the most flamboyantly and um, loudest, and that's from both sides. That's not I'm not I'm not saying that's that's one side's doing that more than the other. It's both sides, and it's ridiculous. Um, I just wish we could we could change that. I know that's. Uh, not going to be very easy with, um, you know, how easy it is to publish what you want. And I think that's great. But it just led us to, a, I think, a challenging moment. Um, and certainly that showed in the last couple of days. So and that, now, of course, I think the flip side of that is we, you know, now we at least can see we need to have these discussions. And that's what that's my, you know, my biggest point in this. But, you know, we can't have discussions if people are just yelling labels at other people. So. Let me know what you think. Um, you know, tweet me, comment below, email me. 
uh, love to hear what you would have to say about this. It could be about Moore's comments and um, equal pay. I would love to talk about that as well. Um, don't really want to get about get into that on air. This is more of a, a podcast that's focused on men's tennis. Um, I'm very much a, a fan of women's tennis and enjoy watching it, but I don't have as much knowledge um, as I do on the men's game. So, uh, yeah, I just wish we could have more civil civil um, discussions about this. So, uh, so we'll now transition into uh, our tweener of the week. Not tweener of the week. What am I thinking? Gosh, this, things are just throwing me off. Um, we'll name last week's Stick It Wear winner and introduce Miami's contest. Be right back. So, third installment. Third, right? Yes, third. Third installment of uh, our uh, ticket wear competition was last week in Indian Wells. And um, we have a winner. Uh, I first want to give an honorable mention to William Palmer at WFN Palmer on Twitter, who actually picked for a tan. He said, you know, for his dark story, he says, his heart says for tangible head says popsicle. You should have stuck with your heart, man. Um, it's a pretty good dark horse pick. Uh, obviously, he was on the show today, so um, good pick there from from Palmer. Uh, now into the winner. Um, obviously, a lot of people picked Djokovic smartly, um, but thankfully, it wasn't just about the winner. So um, our winner is Witzerland at Witzerland on Twitter. I'm not sure of a first or last name. Actually, let me see if there's a, a name here. Uh, don't see a name, but um, uh, all I see is Witzerland. Um, but uh, they picked Djokovic as the winner. And Raonic is the dark horse. Um, Kalaman is a sleeper who didn't play that well, but they had the winner and the finalist. Um, it took me a second to look at it because I, I was like, Raonic was seeded below 10? But he was. Um, because of, uh, you know, he's still actually, I think he's like 10 or 11 now, even after in making the final. So excellent picks. Um, Raonic played really well in the New Wells, but then got absolutely destroyed in the final. Um, I think it was a pretty good wake-up call for him. So great picks. Uh, we'll be contacting you, Switzerland. I like that. It's, it's spelled like Switzerland, except with a WH at the start. So I like that. Um, we'll give you a little shout out on Twitter and uh, hope you enjoy the shirt. So um, with that, we can now start next week's competition in Miami. Starts on Thursday, I believe. Um, I like these sort of week and a half tournaments. I, I can publish these on Tuesday, give you guys a couple of days. Um, so. Zach sent me in his picks. Let me pull them up right now. Again, we're doing the same as last time. Uh, it's just going to be winner, dark horse, and a sleeper. A winner can be anybody. Uh, the dark horse has to be seated below 10, so 11 or below. And then this, the sleeper has to be unseated. So Zach's picks, let me pull them up here. Zach is going Djokovic, um, Nick Kyrgios, and Elias Emer. Interesting, he's going Emer. That's a bold pick. Emer's having a tough year. Got a wild card. I love Emer, but he's having a tough year. Um, that'll be interesting. Uh, so, Zach going Djokovic, Kyrgios, Emer. And now for my picks. Had to cut it off there, because before I was supposed to say my picks, I just noticed that Brian Baker's in the draw in Miami. Um, so that's awesome. Brian obviously played in Australia and played really well against Simona Bolelli. Um three or four sets that's right he took a set and he has a he's using his protected ranking and he drew a qualifier so pretty draw opportunity for him to get back from those points like i said so easy to root for brian baker um always wishing the best for that guy so 
Uh, I had to put that in before my picks. Uh, so time for me to make mine. And I, as I was looking through this draw, I'm just like, obviously, Fed's back this week in Miami. And I would love to pick Fed. But I'm thinking about these courts. And even if he's fresh, healthy, he plays a semifinal against Djokovic. And with how slow it is there, I just can't see it happening. Um, I think I, you know, my heart my, or my head just says Djokovic, 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 Djokovic. Um, and that's what it should say for most people. Uh, if it doesn't, then you're not watching tennis. But I think Murray's going to have a good week this week. Um, he's always played pretty well in Miami, trains in Miami all the time. It's a good draw. And I don't know. I think, you know, he's beaten Djokovic there before, has he? I forget. I forget. That's bad research on my part. But he always, he always makes the final there, it feels like. And I think he's going to do it again. I think we might have to play Rafa, but on a hard court, I think Murray's just favored in that matchup at this point. So, um, Although Rafa did play better last week. Uh, dark sleeper, 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 sleeper. Uh, I'm gonna take Gilles Simone. I think he has a good draw. I think the courts are good for him. Um, could play Chilich as his, uh, as his as his as his seed there. That's a pretty good draw, and I think um, that's a good pick. And for my dark horse, all right, let's have some fun. Um, looking at the draws we speak. Um, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of interesting wild cards this week. Um, I'm going to go with Andre Rublev from Russia, who plays Inigo Cervantes in the first round. I think he has a great opportunity to win that match, and then could play Chorky, which isn't a bad seed draw. So I'm going to go with Andre Rublev. The Russian is uh, fiery, is explosive, and a lot of fun to watch. So I'm going to go with Rublev. So I'm going Murray and Simone and Rublev, and Zach's going Djokovic, Kyrgios, Anymer. A lot of youngsters in there, so, well... Not on my side, but uh, uh, those are our picks. So, again, guys, um, we'll, uh, a lot of you guys entered on Twitter last week, which uh, is good for me. So if that's easiest for you guys, I can just tweet it out, send you guys a reminder, and enter. But like I said, if it's, it's also very easy for me to track if you comment on this, on this post um, or on SoundCloud, on iTunes, whatever you want to do. So uh, yeah, enter however you like, and uh, yeah, when a sick it, wear a shirt. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Obviously, uh, I think a pretty good show. Um, flying solo this week. Hope Zach will be back next week. A little bit awkward talking just to Mike by myself. Sometimes I like it. I kind of liked it, actually. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll have a, another good guest next week. Would love to hear your guys' feedback on the podcast. Um, email me, joey.hanf at gmail.com if you have any ideas, if you have any tips. Um, and, uh, yeah, going into episode 8 next week, hopefully we'll... So I can coordinate another good uh, interview. Let me know what you guys think of, of the guests so far. And uh, everybody have a good week. Hope you guys all enjoy Miami. See you later. <laughs>